0: Well, I need to start off uh, by bringing some, you could say policies and procedures, church business uh, to you here uh, this morning that needs to be brought to everyone's attention. Uh, and we, that so we have a very important policy here that everyone needs to be aware of. And you may have heard it, but forgotten it, uh, or maybe you've never heard it. And I know no one likes talking about policies and procedures like in any context, but it's just really important that we all get uh, on the same page here, and so we have a policy here at First Christian Church that at no time, any under or excuse me, under any circumstances, for any reason whatsoever, do we allow perfect people to walk through those doors. <laughs> we have a very strict "no perfect people allowed" policy. Because we are all flawed, fallen, sinful people. And uh, this is a biblical policy, as it says in Romans 3:23, that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the perfection and the glory of God. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. We are forgiven and we are not who we used to be and we are becoming more and more of who God wants us to be at his work in our lives to fulfill why we're on the planet and that is to become more devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so we've been uh, in a series here recently that strictly adheres to this no perfect people allowed policy entitled Eats with Sinners where we've been exploring how Jesus himself engaged with and ate with and befriended those who uh, were far from God, that through him, they might come to know God. And this uh, specific series title actually comes straight out of uh, scripture, out of Luke 15, two, where those who thought they were perfect, those who thought that they were better than everyone else, accused Jesus, said of Jesus, this man, this Jesus, eats with sinners and welcomes them, meaning he befriends them. And then Jesus does not deny this accusation and then says of himself, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, illustrating that I have come not to call the righteous, the righteous, but sinners to repentance, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19.10. And so with that understanding, I am so excited about what God is calling us as a church to be and to do in the years ahead to, uh, quote, seek and save the lost among our community, to reach out to those who are far from God, that through Jesus Christ work through us as a church, they might know God. And we're going to share more uh, about this vision that's been laid on the hearts of leadership uh, in our next series after this. But really, we are really already paving the way for that in this series right now, that as we look in the future to what God's called us as a whole to be and to do, really, that is a conglomerate of a series of us as individuals doing what God has called us to be and to do. And so really, uh, that's starting right here, right now, today, uh, in this series, and that's what we're looking at today. What is God's vision for us as individuals as it relates to the whole and what he's calling us all to be and to do in our community? So to guide us in that, we're going to look at Scripture which would be a good thing, Uh, in Mark chapter 6, we're going to be at today, and we're going to be starting in verse 30, looking at a story of how Jesus met both the physical and the spiritual needs of, of not just a couple sinners around a table, but literally thousands around a meal in this story. That as we look at Jesus and learn from him, what then can he teach us and reveal to us about what he's calling us as a church to do to meet the, you could say, physical and spiritual needs of the thousands in our own community? And so I invite everyone to turn there if you've got a Bible on your, you have a smart device, that has a so smart it has a Bible on it, or maybe you brought a Bible or there's one in the pew rack in front of you that we'd invite you to use. And definitely I would say follow along today because sometimes you read the whole passage and then kind of tell you what it's about. But today we're going to kind of read a little bit and then apply a little bit and then read a little bit and apply a little bit. And so I tend to confuse even myself and so you don't stand a chance. Uh, So if you want to grab a Bible to follow along specifically today, I think that would help. All right. So chapter six, starting in verse 30, it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, that he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Okay, so as we pick up this story here, we're really in the middle of a story And that literally as they're talking about how all that they have done in verse 30, that's a result of basically the first five chapters of Mark. If you were to flip backwards, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, even just to look at the paragraph headings, you will see that Jesus has already been hard after his mission of why he came to earth. He's already been reaching into the lives who are far from God that through him they might know God. He's been eating with sinners, he's even been calling some of those sinners to be his disciples, to be his personal followers. And now, with his new group of disciples in tow, Jesus is healing people, he's casting out demons, he's preaching, he's teaching, all to help people grow closer to God. And so we see all this ministry work just in the first five chapters, going into chapter six, and we can see already that God has already done a lot. He's already done, even where we pick up starting today, he's already done a lot up until this point through his disciples, through Jesus. And I think in a lot of ways, in fairness, we can relate to that as a church. In our 180 years of existence, we can see that God has done a lot through us and in us as a church. And by church, we don't mean a building, but you all as the people are the church. And there's lots of Bible that talks about that. But that even more specifically here today, those of us in this generation, Over the last couple of decades, God has grown this church to uh, what was, you could say, a couple of hundred sinners, to now more than 1,800 sinners who call First Christian Church home, who uh, thankfully, based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, which we just remembered in communion, are no longer viewed by God as sinners, but as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that we are seen as forgiven, we are seen as the righteousness of God. We're seeing as the righteousness of God. And so we have over 1,800 people taking steps towards becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And that's awesome. That's great. God has done a lot through us and in us as a church. And as we read even more specifically about what God has done, even in this story, I think some of you can relate to exactly how the disciples are feeling uh, in this particular story where they've been hard at it that day. You know, it's been a long day and some of you who've been like on mission trips or kind of maybe even last week you served in the uh, Jumpstart back to school clinic all day, you know what it is to experience verse 31 that with so many people ministering and coming and going that you, quote, don't even get a chance to have something to eat. And so... The disciples and Jesus kind of crossing that ministry finish line for the day, verse 32, it says that they then went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So they were done. Verse 33, but. Now anytime you see that word, you know something else is coming. The story's not done. Hold up, we gotta keep going here. And even though God has done a lot, Uh, through Jesus in the first six chapters, plenty of awesome in its own right. In fact, even if Mark stopped at chapter six, you could say, you know what, they've done a lot. They've reached a lot of people, helped a lot of people far from God, know God through Jesus. You gotta give them some credit. Uh, But what we're gonna see here, that word but shows us that God is not done working through his disciples yet. Jesus is not done yet, and spoiler alert, God is not done working through us yet as first Christian church yet. God is not done yet. All right. Verse 33. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot. I just love the level of detail that the Bible gives of that. It's like, you think some might be walking on their hands? <laughs> nope. Just, just running on foot. Okay. So, they recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And so what we see here are these people, they are so desperate to get to Jesus that they literally hoofed it all the way around the lake from their various towns for Jesus to get to Jesus, to communicate to them hope and direction for their lives. And you might say, what, to communicate, are you sure they're not going to get a healing or something? And, no, in a second we're going to see that they were literally, they were hustling to get to the sermon which gets me kind of excited for what I do for a living and uh, I think we can relate some of you particularly if you have children you know what it means to have to hustle to get to church cuz you're running late uh, Yes, yeah i think the last time you know some of us with children or that's what I say you know the last time we were on church on time was bc before children <laughs> and so i joke with my wife that that's one of the perks of working here is i don't have to help get the kids ready cuz i got to be here before you sorry good luck with that um, <laughs> And so we all know what it means to to run, to hustle, to get to church because we're late. But these people, they ran because they were desperate for direction in their lives and hope for their eternity. And I think we'd be hard-pressed to argue that in our town, that in our community, uh, that in our sphere of relationships, there are people that you know, there are people, even if they wouldn't put this language to it, that you know from the outside looking in that they are desperate for direction and purpose in their lives and they are desperate to have a hope for their eternity. Again, even if they can't put that kind of words, that kind of language to it. And so given this, we see how Jesus responds to this need for hope and direction. Verse 34, it says that when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, when he saw these people desperate for hope and direction, it says that Jesus had compassion on them. He had compassion on them because they were like, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. And that word compassion here, that, that literally means that Jesus had such a passion for these people's desperation that he was compelled, he was moved to communicate a message of restoration to them, a message of restoring hope and purpose and a direction in their lives. Jesus had compassion for, he deeply cared about these people. And when it comes to caring, for me, in my life, there are things that I care about now uh, that I did not care about, say, eight years ago. For example, Eight years ago, I did not care about American Girl Doll. (laughs) Did not care, didn't even know what it was. Uh, I did not care that Caroline is gonna be on sale for this weekend only. And some of you are like, I I don't know what you're talking about. Ignorance is bliss in this regard. (laughs) It's far too complicated, far too expensive. Eight years ago, I did not care about Disney princesses, did not, did not care. I could have probably named maybe two or three of the six or, I don't know how many there are now, Um, but I I didn't know that they like had joined forces, (laughs) you know, like I thought they all had their own stories or Disney movies and stuff, but now I guess they're like, like like the Ninja Turtles, like they've all come together (laughs) to do their princess thing. I don't know, see, these things I did not care about. But as as many of you know, and, and I'll inform the rest of you, something changed in my life eight years ago in that I welcomed into my world our oldest daughter, Cole. And obviously, naturally, with having a daughter, began to have a relationship and build a relationship with my daughter. And you know what I discovered? I discovered that you can't have a relationship with someone that you care about and not care about what they care about. It is impossible for you to have a relationship with someone that you care about and then not care about what they care about. And Jesus cares about lost people. Jesus cares about people who do not yet have a relationship with God through him. And so you cannot say you care about your relationship with Jesus Christ and then not care about what he cares about because Jesus cares about, he came to seek and save those, he came to reach out to those who were far from God, that through him, they might come to know God, both in this life and for all of eternity. And so when it comes to our community, when it comes to encountering another human being, whether a family member, a friend, or a coworker, or a neighbor who does not know a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, who doesn't know uh, life that has direction beyond just the temporary things of this world, who does not know life and life to the full that Jesus promises us if we follow him, Uh, does not know the hope of an eternity in heaven, when you encounter them, how do you feel? Do you feel compassion toward them? Well, I'll be very honest with you in regards to the answer to that question when it comes to me. This is not something that comes naturally to me, to have compassion toward people, which is what everyone wants to hear their pastor say. (laughs) But sometimes I'm I'm like the Grinch story, you know, a heart two sizes too small, I kind of have a, you know, get over it, suck it up kind of approach to things. And so I I know that that's a problem and that's not a good thing. And so I'll tell you what I've discovered that changes that. And what I'm about to say is gonna sound what they call, quote, a Sunday school answer, which is kind of the right answer, but it's only the right answer if you actually make it the right answer in your life. But the truth is, it's something you have to pray for. You really have to pray specifically that God would soften your heart. In fact, the way I pray it often is, God, would you help me to see people the way that you see people? Would you help me to have the the eyes that you have and trust that as I interact with another human being that's been created in the image of God, that God would remind me through his Holy Spirit that, hey, this person is created in the image of God, in my image, and that he's going to help me to fulfill what Jesus called the second greatest commandment. The first one is to love God above all things. Second, just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And the cool thing is and the confidence I have is that Jesus isn't going to call us to do something he's not going to equip us to be able to do. He's not going to call us to have compassion and a heart for others and not then answer that prayer to give us a heart of compassion for others. And so pray for it. Pray that God would soften your heart toward other people, um, that he will fulfill the prayer that fulfills you doing what he's called you to do. Okay, so with that, Jesus is our example. Jesus seeing these people having compassion for desperate for hope and direction in their lives, seeing them as desperate like sheep without a shepherd, no one to take care of them, he begins to care for them. He begins to teach them these things, give them hope and direction for their lives. And so that's what Jesus did. And um, sometimes, I don't know if you ever hear Jesus stories and you think, you know, that's great for Jesus, but he's Jesus. You know, he's got the whole God thing going for him. And I know we're supposed to be WWJD, what would Jesus do? But sometimes I'm like, You know, what about the rest of us? You know, that's Jesus, that's good. You know, where do the rest of us come into this story? Um, You know, us common folk. And so um, I'm glad you asked. Verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day. So the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it's getting very late. Let's send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Okay, so it's been a long day, a late night. And they need to head home, get some drive-through, call it a day. But, and there's that word again, verse 37, but Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. To which I can imagine the disciples kind of being like, I'm sorry, Jesus. I thought you said you as in us, like the 12 of us give the thousands of these people something to eat. Um, But then I look back at the Bible, and that pronoun you is still there. And so it must have been what he said. You give them something to eat. And so the disciples respond in so many words. That would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? To help us relate a little bit. uh, Any fathers of a bride at any point in your lifetime here in the room today? Just a quick show of hands. Yeah, okay. You fed maybe a couple hundred people on that day. Half year's wages. <laughs> if you're lucky, I understand. And so the disciples respond how I think any one of us would have responded. Jesus, you so crazy. <laughs> how, how are 12 of us in this quote remote place, AKA, middle of nowhere timbuktu how are we supposed to the 12 of us provide enough food for these 5000 men in fact that's how they counted then bible scholars say that because they counted men it actually would have exceeded 15000 people women and children included and so they're basically saying this request is not workable what you are asking us to do jesus impossible impossible oh man if only someone could have told the Jesus followers then that what we now know, that you don't tell Jesus things are impossible. In fact, six chapters later, Mark chapter 10, he didn't tell them yet, so in fairness to the disciples, Jesus actually says, nothing is impossible with God. Or even if you don't read ahead, even if the disciples could see what we see. I love what the Bible publishers do. They help us out. They put those little paragraph headings so that we know how the story ends. They kind of give it away. But what does it say there at the paragraph heading of this story? Jesus does what? For 5,000 people, he feeds them. They didn't know it. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. So here we go. Jesus is going to make it happen. Verse 38, he says to his disciples, How many loaves do you have? he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Okay? And so clearly that's all they had, and clearly they don't have enough. They don't have what it takes to feed these people. And I think for us, again, kind of applying what we're looking at today, We so often, when it comes to the idea of talking to someone about our faith or about Jesus or inviting them to church, we would say, we don't have what it takes. We don't have all that we need to make that happen. But here's what Jesus is responding, and here he's going to play it out in a minute, that he says, I understand you don't have 15,000 pieces of bread and 15,000 pieces of fish. I get it. And while we might say, I don't have what it takes. I don't have all the answers to the questions. I don't even know all the questions to ask in order to give the answers to all that it takes to talk to someone about faith or God or church or any of that. And what Jesus is saying is, I know. I know you don't have everything you feel like you need. And so he asks, but what do you have? What do you have? And the disciples, they had five bread loaves, two fish, and Jesus is asking us, what do you have? You have a relationship? You have a relationship with this family member, with this friend, with this co with this person at the gym, with, uh, you know, you have, you have a relationship, and maybe you have some compassion, you're praying for more, but you have some compassion, you, you care about what I care about, You care about what God cares about, and so you care about direction and a purpose for their lives and all for eternity. And so Jesus says, I know you don't have all that you feel like you need, and that's right where I want you. Bring me what you have. And then Jesus starts to work with that in this story, verse 39. From there, Jesus directed the disciples to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Now, this alone is a huge faith step for the disciples because remember, they don't have the paragraph heading. They don't know how this story ends. So they're like, all right, everybody. I mean, they're gonna, you just sit down. What are we doing? It's it's okay, just take a seat in your groups here. And, And they don't know what Jesus is gonna do. They don't know how the story ends, but they know enough to know that Jesus has not let them down before. And so an application for us. On September 6th and 7th, we are having five special services um, that are extra short for people who don't like church. um, (laughs) That really are not for you. These five services are not designed for you, they are designed for the person that you are going to bring, not to sit next to you in the green grass, but to sit next to you in your pew. And that's a big step. That's a big step that we are asking you to take. That step of faith, just like the disciples took that step of faith, to kind of start getting things ready. Because we believe that God has not called us to be a church to say, not only hey, you know, eighteen hundred people—that's a lot of people who are you know taking steps who are becoming devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Ain't that great? No, because God is not done yet. He is not done in our community yet. He is not done in that family member's life yet. He's not done in your coworker's life yet. He's not done in your neighbor's life yet. He's not done in your friend's life yet. He's not done in that marriage yet. He's not done in that family yet. God is not done with us yet. God is not done. And so Jesus, verse 41, he takes the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves, and then Jesus said to his disciples, "Have a seat, fellas, and let Jesus show you how this gets done." And then Jesus starts passing out the bread and the fish and you know, a little behind-the-back action, maybe a fadeaway jumper, uh, just because he's Jesus and he can't. Actually, that's not in the Bible. So you all need to open the Bible because I make, I make stuff up, so you got to watch out for that. OK. No taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven he gave thanks broke the loaves and don't miss this don't miss this Jesus then he gave them to his disciples he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people and also divided the two fish among them God's done a lot God's not done yet because God wants to work through you. God chooses to work through us, through you. God wants to use you, that as you pray and you prayed for this person, that couple, that family to know Jesus Christ, God in turn is probably asking us, How are you going to be a part of the answer to that prayer? How are you going to be a part of the answer? To that prayer. And we see in this story how Jesus makes the disciples a part of the answer to this need. Verse 42, it says that they all, how many? 5,000 men, 15,000 and all, that they all ate and were satisfied. And goes on, verse 43, then the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. I think that's actually probably my favorite part of the story, that Jesus doesn't just feed 15,000 people through 12 disciples, but he makes leftovers. It's like Jesus just dropped the mic and walked off the stage. (laughs) And so, as we connect these dots for us, God is leading us as a church, he's leading everyone to bring someone. I know we have that word invite, I'd rather replace it with bring. He's calling everyone to bring someone to one of the weekend services on September 6th and 7th to hear that Jesus Christ wants to show them direction for their lives, hope in their lives, both in this life and for all of eternity. And so as we ask everyone to bring someone and that challenge is before us, let me, and again, just being all candid and fair to everyone, let me share with you what I know is true of 100% of the people in this room. That's still really hard. That's still a challenge to take that step of faith, to have someone come with you, to trust that you're, they're not gonna be embarrassed, that you're not gonna be embarrassed, that we're not gonna embarrass you, that, that God will actually take what we have, our five loaves and our two fish, and do much more than we could ask or imagine with that. It's a huge step of faith. It's a huge step of faith that God wants to meet us in. It says in Mark 13, later on, Jesus says that when it comes to this ask, when it comes to talking to someone about your faith, that you are not to worry, but to trust the Holy Spirit to work through you and to give you all that you need in that interaction. And so, as we recognize, just in all honesty, the challenge, the difficulty that it is to invite someone and to bring someone with us, I want to, in closing, uh, close with a story in Mark chapter eight. And uh, so I invite you to flip over uh, two chapters, Mark chapter six to Mark chapter eight. Aren't y'all impressed? I know that six plus two equals eight. Did it all by myself, okay. So we close, we always, we like to close with the story. This story comes out of the Bible, and so that's a good thing. Mark chapter eight, verse one. It says, during those days, another large crowd gathered, meaning we've been here before. Another large crowd gathered, and since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion. There's that word again. I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Then in verse four, his disciples answered, Don't worry, Jesus. Remember how you provided for us and for the 5,000 men. We trust and have faith that you can do that again. Actually, that's not in the Bible either. Y'all got to open the Bible. Making stuff up. Verse four, the disciples actually answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Now, without looking ahead, how do you think Jesus responded to these disciples? You know how I'd respond. Verse five, Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks to them for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied and afterward the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And so, I don't know about you, but when you read stories like this, it's, I'm reminded, it's like, a, it's like it's a good thing that we weren't Jesus because we would have responded probably a lot different. Like, i had been like, man, send those guys back down to the miners," You know, like, These two strikes and you're out on this one. This is too obvious. And while we might be quick to dismiss the disciples, scoffing, how how could they have seen and experienced all that Jesus had done in their lives and still have so little faith? We ask that. In fairness, as we look at our own lives, we are reminded that the disciples were not unusually dense, but that they are, in fact, just like us. They are just like us. And so, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't give up on his disciples? Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't give up on you? For me, I did not grow up knowing any of this or or going to church, and I had a friend, Josh Chittick, for over a year invite me to come to church with him. And do you know how many times I went to church with him that year? Goose egg, zero. But he kept on inviting, kept on asking, because Josh cared about what God cared about. He understood that I was far from God and that through Jesus Christ and through the work through him in this this church, I might come to know God. And I'm so glad that Josh did not give up on me. Don't give up. Don't give up on that person, on that marriage, on that family. And you take to God whatever you've got. You take your five loaves and your two fish and you trust that he will fill in the rest. And so in that spirit of trust, um, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we pray, as we trust, synonymous words, to pray is to trust that God will in fact do this in us. So let's pray together. Father, we start with thankful hearts, thankful that you have done a lot in us, in our lives, and yet we recognize that you're not done yet. And even more so, that you choose to use us to do what you're not done yet doing. And so, Father, we, uh, we lay before you whatever we've got, limited and as little as it may be, because that's where you want us. Because the last place you want us is saying, oh, we got this. We got this figured out. We can handle it. We're going to plant, water, and grow. no. We understand, God, and we, we step out in faith that we, as we plant and water seed among those who don't yet know you, that we will trust that through Jesus Christ and the work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit and in them that they might know you as we have come to know you. And we ask your help in this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said,